Hello and welcome to Audio Mission from Church Mission Society. I'm Trevor Smith. As the summer rolls on, the first phase of our Mission Is campaign is in full flow as we try to gather the big picture of what people really think about mission, what it is and who should be involved. As a result of this, you won't be surprised that we're hoping to prompt more people to follow their own call to mission, whether that's across the sea or across the road. If you haven't taken part yet, please go to churchmissionsociety.org mi and complete our short, fun survey. And in this edition of Audio Mission, we meet three people who talk about how they've discovered their own call and put it into action. We'll meet Phil and Sylvie, who are preparing to go and help serve Syrian refugees in Lebanon. We'll also meet Michael, who has put his call into action in both Jordan and Ipswich, despite serious epilepsy. First, though, we talk to Dr Ruth Hulser, who spent 14 years in Tanzania, working in a health centre in a small town and developing a holistic mission community called One Family. Ruth, originally from Germany, told Jeremy Woodham about her call, but they started off on a more topical note as she reflected on the palpable insecurity she's felt on her latest return visit to Europe. To me, it's very obvious that there is now an atmosphere of insecurity. I used to have this funny picture that if I was in Africa, things could happen to me. Uh, and this is a picture I share with the whole, my whole family. And, and everybody thought, said, you know, Ruth, why do you go to Africa? You want to lose your life for nothing, you know. And so you could be hitting a hippo or you could be more likely having a bus accident or something like that. Uh, why would you want to, you know, put your life in danger like that? And But now, you know, with the atmosphere have changed, in even in Germany as well as, as in the UK, um, no one can go even to a McDonald's and say, you know, I'm going to be totally fine and come back. People are beginning to understand what it's like to live in an atmosphere or in an area of the world where it's not guaranteed that you're safe all the time. And it's a total change of, of perspective for people because... Um, in the UK, I think, and as well as, as in Germany, because obviously I have also family in Germany, I have noticed that people used to expect that everything would be fine for most of their lives and uh, they would maybe expect that they would, might get sick when they are in their F70s, 80s or 90s. They would never expect anything tragic or, or disturbing to happen to them before that. But now people are beginning to live in a, in a, in a different environment where they suddenly realise, wow, if I could, even if I just leave my house or even if I'm in my house, a truck could hit this house. And there's a certain new atmosphere of, of sort of not taking things quite like that for granted. And people are beginning to think that they need to be frightened when they leave their houses and that they need to worry. It's a totally new atmosphere to me and in Europe. And I, I find it, it's not new to me in Africa. In Africa, we, we are aware that any time anything could happen, you could become very sick, you could, very many people die of road traffic accidents. If I get into a bus, I never know whether I leave the bus alive. Uh, and even when I came this time, I knew, I mean, everybody was praying. It's like a community effort. I mean, at least 200 people have been praying for me for this journey. Not the people in Europe, because they don't know how dangerous the buses are in Tanzania, and I'm not telling anyone. But, you know, if you get into the bus, you just don't know. We had it just last week, a whole bus fell over and 32 pupils died and I mean it's happening every week so people you know we know in Tanzania that life is very precious and you don't know what could happen to you at any point but obviously here in the west we take security and safety for granted it's a huge change that I've noticed what can we is there any insight or practice I mean you've just talked about prayer there that we mm. can learn in this new scenario from yeah. Tanzania where uh, people I'm assuming people aren't still walking out their door in fear 
mm. in the mornings, even no. though they know these things could happen. Yeah, it's yeah, it's very interesting. It it makes for a shift in what you rely on, and when you here you could maybe rely on external safety and security measures. Uh, in Tanzania, you have to really rely on God, and it is a total and absolute dependence on that. That you just have to put yourself into His hand, and you have to ask people around you to say, "Pray for me," because what I'm going to do is not going to be totally safe. Um, but uh, and I actually feel threatened. But uh, and then you just do what you have to do in faith, and so you have a lot more practical experience in having to put your faith in God every day because you do end up doing lots of things that you know could end up with uh, a tragedy. Uh, and so I mean, in Tanzania, you we we know that God is there because God is keeping us every day, and we know every morning when we arrive and we wake up, we know, wow, God has kept us another night, and God has kept us through another day. So God is very close. Uh, in many ways in that way for us in, in Tanzania and it's much easier to forget to have that closeness when you think that you are in an environment where you never need to pray about your bus journey or your car journey or anything you do because you always sort of have a lot of security around your safety systems that seem to, to hold you. Now you made a big choice 14 years ago about mm -hmm. putting your dependence on <laughs> yes. God and what you were going to do with your time and set off Maybe somewhat tentatively, thinking only for a short time you were going to mm. Tanzania. Yeah, three to six years possibly. Tell, mm -hmm. tell me what you understood your call to be at that time. When I set out, I actually had a physical call, a vision. I had a vision that initially um, happened uh, when I was um, a, a senior house officer. I had a revival thing and then I heard a voice three days later when I was by myself in my bedroom and I was just having very happy thoughts full of the Holy Spirit and then suddenly I heard it was like an outside voice it said you will go abroad for me uh, and I was shocked I was neither pleased nor was I happy and my big happy bubble of the Holy Spirit went into pieces and I spent a week thinking very rebellious and horrible thoughts and I said God why would you want to send me I don't want to be eaten by the cannibals and you you know and then I sort of took me a week to work out why did I think there was such a terrible thing and then I sort of realized that I had some very poor notions about who go who is God and I thought God would use his children in order to get more children by sacrificing his children so I was thinking that this was like about a personal sacrifice that God was sacrificing me for to, to get more people and instead of which I actually didn't understand and which I then learned in that experience is that God is a God that loves me and therefore he chooses the path that is the best path for me. So my call was and is really on the whole is that I felt very strongly and I felt that even from the age of 14 that God loves the people in third world countries and particularly Africa that he loves them just as much and just because they are so sometimes so disadvantaged in the availability of uh, health care or, or physical goods uh, or education that they're not uh, less any less loved or disadvantaged in front of the eyes of God uh, and I felt that for me it was very important that that sign that God is caring to them to the same degree than he's caring for example for me when I was a child or an adult uh, here in the UK that I felt that was such a strong that his love is so strong to them that it was pulling me to leave my place here and to be a physical sign of his love and presence wherever he was sending me which happened to be Tabora in Tanzania and so I, I went there with a call of being coming alongside 
the people Ese were there to show that he does care and he cares so much that he would move someone from all the riches and the security to come alongside them and to show them that they are loved just as much as I was ever loved. Please hold Ruth in your prayers. She especially wants to get hold of a mechanical digger to dig large water collecting ponds in the Tabora area, which she passionately believes could transform local life and livelihoods by collecting this precious natural resource from the few rains that come each year. Michael Green has been working with Church Mission Society for a similar length of time to Ruth, so has masses of mission experience, both in Jordan and more recently in Ipswich. Jonathan Self spoke to Michael about his sense of call and how that came about, and what difference his disability makes. I grew up within uh, a Christian family, uh, predominantly Christian family, and although I had some bad experiences within that, those experiences drove me closer to God and away from what I would call churchianity, just kind of uh, religious kind of going along to church and made me kind of sit down and investigate the Bible and investigate other religions, actually, which I see now as preparation for mission. But at the time, I wasn't thinking of, of moving very far away from the rural community that I grew up in. But I investigated Judaism, Sikhism, Islam, as well as Christianity, Wiccan, faith. And in the end, I came down on the side of uh, Christ. Or I'd say I was was gathered in, really, but I, I put in a lot of investigation. I went on through the education system over the years after leaving school initially, uh, at 16, with very little in the way of qualifications, I eventually went back to improve them and went all the way to university. And much to my surprise, uh, the Christian Union kind of invited me to join their, their committee. And even more to my surprise, uh, I found myself becoming evangelism secretary, which at the time I thought evangelism was something that you wouldn't do to your worst enemy, let alone anyone you liked. But also, at the same time, I got cornered by a photocopier machine by three people from the Islamic Society Committee who wanted to know whether I wanted to go along to one of their debates about, is there a God? And through that, I ended up making friends with a number of Muslim guys who I'm still, in many cases, good friends with today. And that, you know, I, I started to not only go to the debates of the Islamic Society, but we also had Christian Union, Islamic Society football matches. Uh, I went round to these guys' houses and ate food together. I really got to know them well. And then about halfway through my degree, I really started to feel that God was calling me to some kind of vocational ministry. I talked to various people, uh, wrote to various organisations. And at the initial point, uh, I only actually had a couple of replies. One of those was from a a Christian radio station, and they replied back and told me that they only did radio programs, but they'd pray for me. And I'd looked into both prison work and work work in the Middle East. And the other organization wrote back and gave me three different people to talk to uh, with different backgrounds, and one was near where I was at university, one was near where I grew up. And they were were people that I got the chance to to meet and to talk to. It was later in the process that I discovered about CMS and 
uh, that was from reading an advert that by that time after I'd gone on and um, studied nursing, practically had my name written over it. And that was for a job in Jordan, working as a community nurse. We are all treasures in jars of clay. We all have our own gifts, our abilities, and our weaker points. Um, and that really goes on to, to kind of point to the glory of God, I believe. I have epilepsy. I've had it for about 35 years, uh, I think since I was around 10. It's a disability which is not always visible. Most of the time I look perfectly okay, unless you actually see me have a seizure, or if you see me in the aftermath with, say, a broken nose or a broken arm. There's, there's very little that distinguishes me from the average other person in the pew. One significant thing in, in Jordan, in the Middle East, is that level of friendship and, and of family amongst the community there is very different from uh, Europe. And so actually, in different ways, I was uh, very closely supported by a number of uh, friends and family inside the church and out. But also, their attitude to epilepsy is very different. So I did a lot more work both amongst Christians and Muslims in Jordan in kind of educating what people, what was actually possible for someone with epilepsy, that it was possible for them to actually, you know, have a full education, go as far as university, depending on the level of their condition, and in fact live a full working life. And I did that in part by demonstrating through my life what I was able to do. Do pray for Michael, especially for his good health and for all his relationships in the community in Ipswich as he seeks to help churches there serve the migrant population. Now we meet a couple who are just starting out on their mission service with Church Mission Society, but who have a lifetime's experience and involvement in mission behind them. Despite thinking ordinary people like us might well be of no use, they discovered, almost accidentally, a call to serve in Lebanon. They told Heather Ramsey how. We're dependent-free now, and we thought, well, we'll go travelling for a year or so, mm. a couple of years, and um, take our business with us, because we can do it as we go along. And um, that's what, what we thought we'd do. And then, a couple of months into the plans of thinking about that, we thought, well, hang on a minute, if we're going to be going abroad anyway we'll just see if God can use this time and didn't, rather than just please ourselves um, just see if we can be of use again to someone so that which is why we, we came to CMS Yeah. and just not, not thinking we have got a call to go somewhere just saying well we're here this is what we do do you want to use us? And quite open to the fact that they would say, no, we haven't got any gaps with people like you, <laughs> in which case we'd go off wherever we wanted. Yeah. We've also been, been to Africa quite a lot of times yeah. and been involved in development mm. issues there um, and got quite strong links in development, in, particularly in Uganda. And we know that even though we're ordinary people, the skills we bring just because we've been brought up in this country and have a high level of education we can go to places where they don't have that and we can just because of our depth of experience we can provide a lot and so we know that from what we've done out there. What would you say is your passion for this that will take you into this area of ministry? What is your impetus for going 
to this place? Well, the first is going where you believe God calls you mm -hmm. and just following him almost blindly. Mm. The second is being with people who are obviously under pressure from a difficult situation. They've just got so many Syrian refugees, Iraqi refugees. Mm -hmm. And this the church that we're going to are doing all they can to minister to those people. But they're understaffed, under-resourced, because they've just got so many people coming through. And it's, it, it's helping them, that church, to help those other people who are their neighbours in their country. And that, that's, what we, that's what the passion is, really, to help them keep going in doing what's a valuable job for people who have had to abandon everything. And I sort of think, well, what would we do if we had, you know... Uh, Britain's what 60 million population is it something like that if we had an extra 30 million in the shores well, I wouldn't be going there I'd be staying here to yeah. do the same job <laughs> we've come very different journeys the two of us mm. as well Sylvia's come more from the compassion so in the, in the recent year you've been getting involved with the refugees in Calais mm. whereas I've come I'm a more practical person so I always I went with VSO years ago as to teach irrigation in Africa and that was sort of where I thought I would go and then I became a businessman and I had a business and the Lord had to make me realize that it's not about me hmm. so I had to strip all those things away from me and that it's all about him and that took a lot of work so there's right. a lot of breaking over the years of my dreams and my visions so my passion really now is to just go and follow him and not about me not at all it's not that I would become a great administrator for this great church right. it's that this church would be great right. and not about me so that the church is set free to be whatever it needs to be in the future so that we put in foundations that enable them to launch out to wherever the future is for them without us I don't want anything to be dependent on me I've seen so many missionaries who are burnt out who are trying to hold things together because mm. we've been as Sylvia says involved in mission and mission people for years and missions coming into a new phase and it's about what God's doing and not about the individuals and and that's where I am I'm about it's not about me it's not about anything that I can do it's about what he does and as long as I'm involved in what he's doing even if it's just making a cup of tea to help the team get together I'll go and make a cup of tea you know I'll go I'll see and I'll serve and that's that's me please pray for Phil and Sylvie and pray too that we may all serve God with the same humility and echo that phrase I'll go I'll see and I'll serve even if the going and seeing means our local community rather than a crisis hotspot like Lebanon Finally this month, we wrap up with a prayer exercise from Ian Adams, Church Mission Society's Mission Spirituality Advisor, praying with the parable of the yeast. In this prayer exercise, we pray with the parable of the yeast from Matthew chapter 13. Jesus told another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Reflect on this parable today. And as part of that reflection, you might like to cut a slice of fresh bread from a loaf. 
enjoy its appearance, its aroma and its touch. Imagine the small but vital ingredient of yeast that has enabled this loaf to come into being and wonder at the process. Finally, taste the bread. Now reflect on how this process and the parable that Jesus told may shape you today. Here's a prayer you can use to accompany this exercise. Jesus, help me to recognise the small but vital thing that you may be doing in me or around me today. And so bring the bread of your life here. Ian Adams bringing this month's audio mission to a close. Look out for the small but vital thing God may be doing in your life or community. Thank you for listening and join us next time for more voices from God's global mission.